Welcome to VPG's virtual water cooler chat podcast, where we share lessons and stories of women professionals to help empower other women and expand a greater circle of influence. So we walk our journey with those who understand and appreciate us. Today, we are going to chat with Tara Kim Eberhardt. Tara is a senior director of practice management at Denton's US LLP. She is also the president of the International Practice Management Association, IPMA, and a founding member of Chief, DC Chapter. Chief is a private network for the most powerful women in leadership. She is proud to be a recovering paralegal, having started off her legal career doing real work, as she says, before transitioning into management and then ultimately focusing her career on the business side of the law. Tara is known for her in-depth operational knowledge and ability to implement enterprise-level innovation and technology solutions. In her spare time, Tara is an avid reader and is learning how to be an empty nester with her husband, Robert, now that her daughter, Madison, is a fully launched adult. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on Virtual Water Cooler Chat. I am so excited to actually reunite with you here and to see you at the IPMA you know, as the president. So thank you. I'm super, super super excited to be here. Always, always happy to, uh, to chat with you, Ashley, no matter what the topic. Well, thank pleasure is all mine. (laughs) So let's get started. Can you tell us a little bit about Tara Everhart? Yeah, sure. So, uh, so Tara Eberhardt, um, you know, has a lot of things. Work uh, is sort of central to what I'm uh, focusing on now because I'm an empty nester. So uh, I have enjoyed a, a really great career. I have a husband who I still like. Um, my daughter lives in the area. Um, and, you know, I've been with my current firm, Denton's, although the uh, the name has changed and some of the faces have changed, but I'm really happy with what I'm doing, which I think we're going to talk a little bit more about today. We're definitely going to hit on that. Thank you for sharing a little bit about who Tara is. Would you mind sharing your journey to becoming a leading professional in Denton's, our chief founding member and the president of the IPMA? Yeah, I've been really fortunate. Um, you know, I started uh, very proudly as a paralegal at a six attorney firm after I got my degree and sort of figured out what I wanted to do uh, professionally. Uh, one of the lawyers that I worked with uh, after I'd been there a couple of years was an engineer by trade. And uh, he left to go to a patent firm in Alexandria, Virginia. And about uh, four or five months after he left, he called me and said, I know you don't know beans about patents because we were in a family law and general practice firm, but if you'll come and you'll teach the uh, patent paralegals how to go to trial, which I had tons of experience in, they'll teach you IP uh, patents and trademarks. Uh, And I thought that that was a really great trade because I've been trying to sort of think about what I wanted to specialize in. Um, And so I went to Oblong Spivak and I was there for a number of years uh, as one of their lead litigation uh, paralegals. Then I uh, decided uh, if I wanted to go to a larger firm, I was going to have to go across the river in D.C., right into D.C. proper. So I had a chance to work with one of the executive level partners, Victor Valencia at Morgan. Mm -hmm. And I ran their biochemical patent litigation shop uh, for a number of years. And it occurred to me one day when I was sort of sitting preparing expert reports um, and there was a lot of commotion in the hallway that we were having a holiday party and the firm had invited everyone by distribution list except the 54 paralegals that worked in the building. 
they had left us off of the distribution list for the holiday party. And so it occurred to me that maybe, you know, we had a lot of really great paralegals, but maybe I wanted to go back to school and get my master's in legal administration and sort of go into more of management uh, and try to carry some of the concerns and opportunities and voices for the paralegals to more of the leadership. And then from there, uh, silly people hired me uh, at McKenna Long and Aldridge to manage their DC office and then let me manage the US. And in 2015, McKenna got purchased, uh, bought out, merged, acquired, uh, whatever the polite term is, uh, by Dentons and uh, continued to run the paralegal program until a couple of years ago. And, and I think moving into practice management was a big step for me. And I know you know, I was managing in a practice capacity before, but um, it was important to me to really sort of, you know, focus on the business side of law as well as the people side. And so, you know, I had an opportunity to go into practice management. You actually know my my professor at GW, Tyler Goodwin. Yes, absolutely. Yep. He's uh, he's here at Denton's now. He works uh, on the eighth floor. So love Tyler. So. Well, please say hi to him for me. I used to be in construction litigation. So before I finished, I took his IP course at, at GW at the Paralegal Program. Yeah. And when I finished, and he was like, I think you could probably do patent litigation. I said, I don't know anything about patent. He was like, you did construction litigation. Did you know anything about construction? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a lot of transferable skills there. That was really, really helpful. And I have a friend that actually we were in the same class. And whenever we talk about like the our IP professor, we, we we have really, really good memory. So just kind of let him let him know that we're thinking about him. I will. I uh, I told him after he left the program, I actually Tony Marsh, who Ooh. runs the program, asked me if I wanted to teach. Um, and that was a little bit intimidating for me because my mom uh, was a teacher, you know, when I was growing up oh. and I always sort of really looked up to people who who taught. But I, I had the opportunity to teach in the paralegal program at GW and I did that for 15 semesters and I taught the uh, the litigation course, which was a lot of fun. That's awesome. I also know Tony Marsh from the Capital days. Yeah, <laughs> that's been so long ago. Can you tell us a little bit about your involvement with Chief? Yeah. Um, so Chief is um, a relatively you know, new association. It was um, created in the last five years um, by two founders in New York, um, two women who thought that um, you know, a lot of women uh, who are in leadership don't have a lot of peers. And also, um, you know, we tend to spend a lot of time working on the professional development of our team, but not sometimes always focusing on our own professional development and having that sort of community of support. Um, and so Chief was sort of created to give women a place to go and to um, find those mentors and sources of inspiration. So um, it was founded in New York, and I sort of stalked them uh, for uh, a year or two because they weren't in D.C. yet. And so I kept waiting for them to come to D.C., so that I could join because at the time you had to wait till your city sort of opened. Um, and so finally they announced that they were going to be coming to DC and it was important to me to sort of be a founding member in DC of the first class. 
And so I went through the interview process and the selection process and those silly people picked me and gave me the opportunity to join. So I've been a member for two years. Um, I will in May, uh, I will be renewing for my third year. You have a lot of encounterings of silly people in your life. That's probably yeah. a good sign of that you're good people. <laughs> yeah, well, I've I've been really fortunate because, you know, everybody sort of needs somebody to believe in them um, yes. so that you can sort of believe in yourself, I think. And I think for women, I was talking to a friend the other day, you know, women, when there's a job description that has, you know, 10 requirements, yes. if women haven't done at least eight of them, we won't apply because we don't see that we can grow into that role. Men, on the other hand, take a different approach. Um, you know, and, and, they, are, you know they, they have like perfect candidate. <laughs> right. And so they're like, hey, I've done three or four of them. I can do the rest of that. Absolutely. I'm going to just put my name out there. So a lot of what I'm trying to do now as I'm in different leadership positions is to amplify and to identify, you know, other women that are really doing great things. And for us to help mentor and encourage, you know, other women to realize how awesome they are and to go into leadership positions or management positions or to start their own business or, you know, whatever their passion may be. So let's talk about IPMA. Now that you are the president, can you share your thoughts and vision about for the organization and give us a little bit of your perspective of how this organization can grow in the near future to help the practice management space? Yeah, so it's actually sort of fortuitous because we just had a two-day uh, retreat for the board. So we we spent a lot of time, uh, you know, talking about those issues. But you know, IPMA has been around for over forty years. Um, it was originally the International Paralegal Management Association, and as a lot of our roles um, as paralegal managers started to get broader, and we started to take on responsibility in other areas. Um, we rebranded to recognize that as the International Practice Management Association. And the conversation that we're having now is similar to what I'm having internal to my firm, which is what is practice management? Um, and I think there's you know a lot of different answers for that and different law firms sort of address that differently. Um, in some firms, practice management is very, very business focused. And you are responsible, you know, for the economics of the practice. You work with the practice group leaders. You make a lot of strategic decisions um, about the direction. And then you sort of, you know, implement those. At other firms, it's completely the opposite. And practice management means, you know, how to keep the trains on track and how to establish processes in the practice. And, you know, so I think, um, you know, a good combination of that is, where the sweet spot is for practice management, you have to have both, right? You have to have a great strategy and where you're going, and you have to have the ability to actually implement that and execute to make sure that you're on track. So at the International Practice Management Association, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to take people who have worked in one particular area as a manager or a leader and get them to continue their professional development so that uh, they can be well-versed in all those different areas and contribute to the law firm's big picture. Oh, that sounds amazing. I mean, where do you find the time to do all of this? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mentioned at the beginning, right, that I'm an empty nester and um, I've been really fortunate that 
you know, that my daughter is launched, uh, but certainly not, you know, out of mind. These are things that, you know, over the last 20 years, I've had folks that have taken a lot of time to mentor me and work with me and give me opportunities. And, and I felt like with Chief, obviously, you know, very specific focus on women's leadership and, uh, and opportunities. And with IPMA, very close to what I do every day and sort of helping to define uh, what practice management is. Um, you know, so for me, they're great conversations so that I, I always have the opportunity to think outside the box and to think about what works best for me and, um, and not to get in a rut, which is something that I think we all try to focus on not doing. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Now, you were once a paralegal, so a recovering paralegal now. Yep. What do you find as the most challenging aspects of you going from recovering paralegal to paralegal managers and now focusing more and expanding on the business side of things? What are some of the things that is so like not quite innate? I mean, I, I think that you are a great learner. But for example, for me, the business side of things is like the PL, those really drive me nuts at the beginning. But yet it's so important if you're not comfortable with the finance part of it, you can run your business. So I just wonder, like at the sort of the scope of the management aspect that you had to handle, what do you find as the most intimidating, if there's any? I think as a recovering paralegal, I think that we're sort of the folks that come up with the ways to accomplish things, right? We're the executors. We're the the folks that, you know, you need to get something filed by a certain time. That's what we do, right? You need to galvanize a whole bunch of people to accomplish something. That's what we do. Um, Paralegals sort of start with the question of how do we do it? And when you switch into practice management, sometimes you have to start with the question of should we do it? Right. And so you have to sort of, I have to overcome that training of years and years of, okay, let's execute to really stepping back and saying, is that something that we should be doing? Is that something I should be doing? You know, should I be partnering with other people? You know, is that something that I should be entrusting to other departments, et cetera? So I always want to be collaborative. I always want to understand how things work. I always want to be very people focused, which is really important to me. But I also, as you know, I've advanced in my career, I have to be careful about spending time on the things that are going to make the most impact on what I'm being asked to do versus just being productive, right? On a whole bunch of things. And I think no matter what people's roles are, we all struggle with that. I heard somebody describe your you know, email inbox as a list of everybody else's problems that people want you to do or things they want you to fix. So it's all about sort of managing other people's expectations and forming those relationships, but also having boundaries and, and yes. saying, Yes, that needs to get done. Yes, that's something, but that's really not something that putting all of my time and effort in is going to have the biggest impact. I really need to focus here. And I, I, I think that's probably been the biggest you know, challenge for me as I've stepped to the business side is remembering to look up and to question uh, what I should be focusing on versus always starting from how do we fix that problem? I think that that is so on point. And I think that 
as a small business owner at the beginning, you're totally right. Paralegals, we do like, I just can't do spirit. You know, I just can't do anything, right? right? And then, but sometimes now the biggest challenge for me is that this is my business. So if I accept it, you know, say a client or, a, you know, a business that is not good for my business, then there's so much more for me to, I put myself, my team and my business at risk. Yeah. And that is not, that is something that I was a yes person. So I would say a lot more yes than, and I would say no. But then after you get burned a couple of times, you kind of learn, you know, and actually I listened to one of the um, a brand strategist uh, professor. He, in one of his talk, he basically said that it is quite flattering for people to come to you and say that, oh, can you please help me? But you have to think about if you take on, a business that is more than you can chew, you are taking on liability and you're putting yourself and your business at risk. So I have never heard of people that put it that way because that was not the space of the people that I actually hang out with before. You know, as a paralegal, when the attorney asks you to file by midnight, you get it done by midnight. You need to go do, you know, X, Y, Z, Mission Impossible, you figure out how. No, it's part, not part of the equation. So that was one of the biggest challenges that I have during the first few years. But thank God I actually sought like coaching from people and I also met some really good people. So part of it is that I'm also a continuous learner and like to mentor people. So for like my business, I got mostly women on the, on the team. We got one guy, but like everybody else, especially the two young ones, I just really enjoy seeing them grow in the past two and a half years. And part of it is that when you said we need to have people to believe in us, especially in times like this, the society has so many different issues with like COVID and everything and like job laid off. And so it's really kind of a difficult time for people to remain positive, especially the younger one who doesn't necessarily have the direction. So I thought that that was one of the way that I can actually use my company to become a vehicle to help make some changes at a small, you know, in a small scale. I always talk to, you know, the managers um, that I have the privilege of working with about setting boundaries is really hard, right? Especially, you know, in a law firm dynamic, I always talk to them about our real job is to get people what they need, not necessarily what they want. And that's an important distinction, right? Because sometimes what a person wants isn't going to get them to where they think they need to go. So if you continue to work with an associate, for example, and the associate, you know, continues to not learn how to do something, but delegates it every time, that isn't great for that associate's development because they need to learn how to do it and then they should delegate it again best use of time and and the team. But if that associate one night is by themselves and can't reach out to anyone, they need to know how to do it. That's a great sort of thing. You learn how to do the math first, and then you learn the, how to use the calculator. That's a good strategy. But it's hard for us to do that, right? Because every time when that person reach out reaches out and wants to delegate, our executor and enabler gene as a paralegal or someone goes into full force and we're like, we're here to help. 
Um, yes. and Put on a superwoman cape. Right. <laughs> we will be, you know, happy to do that. Right. So sometimes, you know, we really need to focus on when people need, not what they want. But uh, that's not always the popular answer. Right. But, you know, one of the other things I think that's important now is we do have to be careful about sort of, you know, boundaries from a mental health and from a physical well-being standpoint, because we're we're all doing a lot. Um, and, you know, this year especially is going to be challenging just economically from a business perspective, from a workforce perspective. And, you know, we need to be conscious about the decisions we're making in business um, for our teams and in our personal life. And I think for leadership, one of the things that I do want to be liked or do you want to be respected? Yeah, you know, exactly. you could get, uh, this is not a popularity contest, at least to me anyway. Uh, if it happened to be popular, great. But if not, some choices have to be made. And hopefully it's balanced all the stakeholders' interests. But at the same time, it's definitely not an easy road to be in leadership, especially this time. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, as a business owner, as, as as a director, sometimes we have to tell people messaging that's hard. It's hard for them to hear. But we're doing that out of care and concern and out of trying to get them what they need, not what they want. But it doesn't make the messaging any easier. Right. Yeah. Um, and at the end of the day, at the core of everyone is, a you know, I'd like to also be liked. I'd like yes. people to realize that I'm trying to do it out of care and concern and not because I'm just trying to make your day difficult or quote policies to you or, you know, or show you spreadsheets all the time. But it is hard to strike that balance because, you know, a lot of our day is navigating problems and making sure that people are OK and, you know, making sure that things are advancing and we're protecting the business. Absolutely. Now, do you have any favorite quote that inspires you? Yeah. I mean, one of my favorite quotes that I use a lot is, I don't need easy. I just need possible. I'm okay with working hard. Um, I come from a long line of people who work hard. That doesn't ever scare me. And rolling up my sleeves and doing something is not intimidating for me. But when I do something, I, I have to have that sort of inner optimist that what I'm doing matters, that I'm actually going to be able to sort of, you know, make a change or accomplish something. So I, you know, that's where the first step in a two-year project comes from. That's where continuing to work with a team that is in the middle of a project and is tired and has a lot of other things on their plate. So again, I, I don't need easy. I just need possible. And I think that can take on a lot of different meetings um, in our day-to-day. -day. Definitely. Now, what do you do in your spare time to kind of maintain that mental fitness? So I have a couple of things that I really enjoy or that I do to relax. So one, I'm I'm a huge reader. And I think that um, I think that reading is super, super important, especially if you're in a management or a leadership position, um, because you've got to keep testing your own assumptions and you've got to keep looking at different, you know, options and and you just need information, right? In order to um to make decisions. So I try to read for at least 30 minutes um, every day. Uh, and I 
last year set a 52 book challenge for myself, uh, which I, I met by Thanksgiving, which was super exciting. So I'm going to do it again this year. So reading is a big part of how I relax. Also, I entered into a new decade um, and had a lot of you know big changes on my personal life. And so a couple of years ago, um, right before COVID, as a matter of fact, I made a decision to prioritize um, health and fitness a little bit more. And, um, and I've lost 95 pounds now. Um, so, um, you know, uh, so everyone has been amazingly gracious and saying nice things. Um, but I wasn't in a place that I wanted to be. And again, it wasn't about weight. It was just about for me, sort of taking back some time and some self-care. If I lost a lot less weight, that would have been fine. It's not a number. It was about prioritizing me. So now four days a week, I go to the gym and I work out with a trainer. um, And that makes me feel like I'm starting my day focusing on me. And then I'm ready to sort of, you know, face everything else, which is super important. And then just for fun, I'm always love a good game of uh, Tetris with my husband. That's one of the things that when I'm just trying to like zone out, we'll do for fun on our, you know, ancient Nintendo or go antiquing or just find finds in a flea market. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, to sum it up, what are some of your the key lessons learned that you would like to share with our audience? I think one of the things that um, is super important to me is that I listen to a lot of podcasts, a lot of things, and I hear these people and I think they're amazingly accomplished and you know they've done so much and I sort of feel like, okay, what am I doing? So first of all, every single, and and I'm flattered that sometimes now people sort of put me in that category, um, but I've had a tremendous amount of failures in my career, right? Um, I, I got fired from my very first job, you know, when I came out of college, which for a super achiever, um, you know, type A is like, you know, an amazingly, you know, crazy story. Um, and I got fired by, you know, Goodwill, the people with the smile that you bring stuff to, right? My point is that for every person that you see, you know, a couple of minutes or you hear their story, they've had a lot of challenges that maybe, you know, they don't talk about as much as they talk about their career trajectory or their success or what they've done. Um, but it's there. And every one of those failures or things that weren't easy for them to do made them more open to opportunities, which then led to some of the great things that they describe in their story. So my thing would be for anybody listening to say that I've been really you know, fortunate, but I've worked incredibly hard for my career, but I've failed as many times as I've succeeded. And I hope that people are secure enough and okay enough to fail because that's what makes for the really interesting stories. Have you read um, Simon Sinek, Start with why? Yes. <laughs> okay. So yes. Simon also has his podcast, A Bit of Optimism. Yep. <laughs> what he said was not failing, but falling. Mm-hmm. So the impact's a little bit less, especially for some people who has like perfectionism too, because that's something that I had to overcome a lot. And I think that that change of vocabulary and the wording it's what is really important to kind of do a mind shift yep. so that you can go and say, okay, well, I just fell. I, I'm going to get back up and start with where I left off, you know, so that might help a little bit with someone that who cannot handle the word failure. You right. Know? 
Yeah. So, I mean, every paralegal, right? Every paralegal, every person who, um, you know, works in a law firm has that like story of something that went horribly wrong. We all have it. And the reason we all have that um, is because that was a pivotal moment for us where something went wrong and we learned and we will make sure that that never happens, that happens again, again. Right. But you have to have that experience and you have to have that like butterflies, like sick to your stomach feeling in order to really understand. Um, and sometimes, you know, stuff happens and it's no fault of your own. It's just a series of, you know, circumstances. Um, but if you're involved in that, you don't forget it and you definitely learn from it. Um, and it's hard to translate to people who haven't had that experience, why we do the things that we do to avoid having that. One thing that I really, really do enjoy about our conversation is the openness. Yeah. Because for a long time, fear of judgment is my biggest problem. Yeah. I'm so worried about what, especially when you're like working for, you know, super type A, literally rocket scientists, right? They are like PhD, has advanced degree in life sciences and, you know, electrical, mechanical engineering. Honestly, I think that is something that once I got out, one of the first thing that I really need to need knew that I need to work on is to not care about what people think, but not let it sort of like handicap me. Yeah. I think that has been the biggest lessons and the goal that I was trying to achieve. Yeah. And I mean, again, in in both of our roles, I think, Ashley, like people come to us, right, when they don't know the answer, right? When they have a problem, they come to you as a business owner and they say, can you help me solve the problem? People come to me 500 times a day and go, here's the problem. Like, what do we do about this? And so you get used to having the answers. You get used to being the person who can, you know, first, it's a small problem that you solve, and then the problems get bigger and bigger and bigger, and you get really good at solving problems and sort of saving the day. Um, And that's addicting, right? That feeling is addicting that, you know, that you're really good at at being that problem solver and it, you know, um, you know, gives you an ego boost. And so the time that you don't have the answer, the time when you're doing something new, um, the time when you're doing something that's scary, that's when you have to go, you know, okay, like, it's okay if I don't have all the answers, I'm going to like figure it out. I'm going to, I'm capable of doing that. I can figure it out. But there's always that imposter syndrome. Um, And the more a position of responsibility that you're in, the more I think that you feel that and I think others, that's what happens is they they look at people in those, you know, the, the person who has the quote in the magazine or the person, you know, being interviewed on TV or, you know, the subject matter expert. And they just go like they know everything. They've got it together. I have a theory. It's called the swan theory that I've used for years. And and I try to use it with especially new managers Because when people are coming to you and you don't have the answer, sort of as a new manager, sometimes you panic. And I tell them about the swan theory, right? The swan glides beautifully on the water. It's a beautiful, majestic bird, right? And you just look at it and you go, it's so beautiful. But underneath, it's paddling like crap. It's paddling super, super hard and it's not pretty underneath the water. And so, you know, sometimes what we're trying to do in in positions is to give everybody that sense of calm, right? We have it. We, everything's under control. Don't panic. Um, And underneath we're just paddling like crap and that's okay. You know, that's okay because that's how you learn. That's how you grow. That's how you get comfortable. 
but sometimes it's okay to let people know that you're paddling. Sometimes that's all right. You don't have to always have that majestic view of this is easy because a lot of the stuff, it isn't easy. And also sometimes we don't have to bear the sole responsibility of figuring everything out. That's yep. what the team is here for. That's right. And uh, one of the coach, uh, Mark Green, actually said to me at one point, because I, I double booked myself. I was supposed to do a training <laughs> and then I was supposed to go to the training myself. You know, normally I would go and miss the actual training for myself because I need to handle this. But then I decided that, and I, I didn't even have coaching on at that time. I just felt horrible because I went to the coaching myself. I had the, the other person to do the training. I said, just record it on Zoom. It'll be fine. I'll take a look at it. If there's anything that I need to redirect, I'll redirect. So I told the uh, coach, I was like, I feel horrible. And this and that, he was like, I actually need to applaud you for doing this because do you know how few opportunities does your team actually have the feel that they can show up and make a difference? Because most of the time, you know, as a leader, we just kind of like, okay, here's what you do, here's what you do. And but at the end of the day, they want those those moments to prove themselves. <laughs> So kudos to you. I was like, okay, I need to double book myself more often. Yeah, somebody had to pull me aside. Uh, someone who was very wise pulled me aside one time and said, I, I know as a new team leader that you think that delegating st stuff to other people is dumping on them, right? But what you have to think of it as is a gift. You're giving them the opportunity to do something that they haven't done before with you as the training wheels, with you as the safety and by allowing them that new opportunity and giving them the confidence to do it, that's a gift. And so from that point on, because again, I was I was killing myself trying to do like a whole bunch of stuff that I really should not have been focusing on. And I viewed it as dumping on others, right? And then when I shifted my thinking to I'm giving someone the gift of the opportunity and the opportunity to do something that they haven't done before. Then sort of my whole way of looking at what I had changed. And I think that's important because you had confidence in your team that it didn't have to be you. Somebody else on your team could do the training. And it's also important because you didn't short shrift yourself and your time for your own professional development, which is what we do a lot of times as, as, you know, managers, as directors, you know, as leaders, we always go, okay, we're going to make sure the team is okay. And we're not taking care of ourselves and we're not growing professionally. So we're not setting a great example for our team. That that's not, that's not a great example to always put yourself last because eventually that catches up with you. Um, and that isn't great for sort of a long trajectory. As leaders, you cannot grow your team when you don't grow yourself. I think that's sort of like the, the view that I adopt. And most of the coaches that I've access, the people that I've interacted with is really similar. That's one of the reasons why I kind of like put in so much like learning yeah. opportunities for people like on as a webinar panel and stuff like that, because I do enjoy learning and I do enjoy organizing. So that has been fun. Well, Tara, thank you so much. I am so honored that you took the time and I'm glad that we had a chance to chat. 
Absolutely. And one thing, um, Ashley, I promise I, I don't get any uh, proceeds from Randy, but a lot of the topics that we're talking about, there's a new book that's out by Randy Braun and it's the playbook. And it's something major, the new playbook for women at work. And mm-hmm. chapter one is on perfectionism, right? Yeah. There's another chapter that's on boundaries and it really talks about some of the stuff that we've been talking about. So if you're looking for a read, check it out. 